When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Blenders and welcome, welcome to episode number 104 of Real Blend, a podcast that hopes that Christopher Nolan's Tenet trailer wins Best Picture at the Oscars on Sunday. Uh-huh. We are going to do our <laughs> final predictions for the Oscars. I'd be okay with that. That'd be okay, right? I'm fine with that. Uh, and we're also going to be giving you Birds of Prey reviews. We're also thrilled to be joined on this week's episode uh, by Birds of Prey director Kathy Yan, who sat down with us at the London Junket. But I'm going to very quickly introduce the guy. Uh, for a couple of different reasons. One, we got a lot of show to get to this week, but also two, uh, Jake is having an audio <laughs> issue. Jake, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, apparently this week uh, the show is sponsored by the new Saw movie because the new trailer <laughs> came out today because there's just a blasting Saw sound that is coming from above my apartment. So the recording of this particular Real Blend episode is going to take about 18 hours because we have to keep stopping and starting every time we hear. And I'm too afraid to go ask Real Men of that that are performing manual labor to to stop uh, doing manual labor, so me and my friends can talk about movies. Excuse so. me, sir. Do you do Good you not sir. know that Good the Oscars sir. are this Sunday and we have to discuss each category? In yes, detail? I am wearing makeup, but I'd like to ask you a favor. Could you please stop with your power tools? I understand you're on a deadline, but uh, we have to record a podcast. Thank you, my friends and I would like to talk about film. <laughs> All right, that means it's going to be a lot more uh, this week of me and the other guest, Kevin McCarthy of uh, Guest. I'm sorry, host, host, Kevin McCarthy of uh, Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. Hey, yeah, my mom just moved in above Jake, so she's just messing around with the, 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 new, the, new, the new tech equipment up there. So That's thanks, awesome. Mom. Good for her. Uh, yeah. We're going to start off with our weekly poll, which ties into the Birds of Prey. Um, th- we ran a uh, question for everybody that says, Margot Robbie's best role. And um, I put three choices and then an other. Kevin, I'm going to have you guess. Between Tanya Harding, Harley Quinn, Sharon Tate, or other, what do you think won? I'm going to say Harley Quinn. No ah, question. I would have thought that also. Tanya Harding won. Really? 39% of the people went with Tanya Harding over Harley Quinn. And I don't understand that necessarily because I think her signature role for sure is playing Harley in both Suicide Squad and now Birds of It just sounds like people are huge Sebastian fans of that movie. You know, maybe it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, you know, just one of those things. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. She's skate in the role. But, uh, but I feel like people. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I, I, I do want to clarify for our because I think this is amazing. Um, Jake has to mute his microphone. <laughs> Every time they drill. Yes. So if Jake wants to come in and say something, he has to press a button in order to be able to talk. This is yes. this is actually really fun for me to experience watching it's, this. It's video. very hard for him to get in some words of prey <laughs> in this week's episode. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really good. Unfortunately. I quit. I quit. <laughs> who else put in there were uh, who for people who said other, Gabe, do you remember what they said? Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street, I saw but some I, of that. But I feel like people are confusing performance for role. Because yeah. I think you could say, like, her best performance is, is I, Tanya. But, I mean, how can you say, I mean, 
even though I hated Suicide Squad, her best role is Harley Quinn. God, you know that uh, <laughs> that uh, that that poll uh, uh, answer actually kind of is a bombshell a little bit, right? I mean, like, you think about—I I thought it was going to be Harley Quinn. I was actually surprised. I'm going to say one role that someone—I know someone pointed this out too, and I totally forgot that she was even in it. She's in Legend of Tarzan, apparently. Yeah, she's. I Jane. interviewed her for that one. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, had no clue that she was even uh, in that film. So anyway, I don't think uh, she did either. That movie, <laughs> that, that, that movie was not great. I, I will say, I thought she is always great, though. Um, yes. No matter what she's in, even in Tarzan, she was still awesome. Um, but that movie was just, oof. And she's a terrific interview. And if you haven't yet gone to our YouTube channels, uh, you can go to Cinema Blend's YouTube channel. You can go to Jake's Takes. You can watch our interview with the casts, uh, the cast of Birds of Prey, uh, including Miss Margot Robbie, and including the director, Kathy Yan, who, as I pointed out at the beginning of this week's episode, is our guest on Real Blend for this week. Um, we were able to uh, get 30 minutes with Kathy talking about her approach to the DC Universe, uh, working with Chad Stahelski to increase the action in her film, um, working with Margot, uh, who has ownership over the role of Harley, and a lot of other really cool topics. So why don't I stop telling you what she's going to discuss and throw it right to Kathy Yan the director of Birds of Prey. Um, I'm curious what were some of the first sort of questions and conversations that you started having with Margot about Harley um, as you tried to sort of figure out how you were going to approach the character. Totally. I. It's interesting because obviously she's played Harley before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there was certainly like a respect there of like, well, you've already played Harley. So, you know, what do you think? Um, but I think she actually loved the challenge of uh, kind of getting to not completely reinvent Harley, but certainly see her in a different light, Mm -hmm. a light that doesn't involve being the Joker's girlfriend. And that's the whole beginning of the movie. And I think we just had a lot of fun in um, crafting a Harley that feels really relatable. And I think she's very much like infused with a lot of Margot, right? Like the, the, the sort of... The, the humor um, that she has, her fondness for food, um, for animals. Um, you know, that's all Margot, too. And so that was really, really fun. And I think we both really want to make sure that she felt real and human and vulnerable in this movie right. um, in a way that you haven't really seen her before. It's a terrific breakup movie. And, okay. and I'm not sure that the subtitle made sense to people or, or does. Like it, They're like, that's a long title. Why, <laughs> yes. why are they doing that? But it's so integral to the story that you're trying to tell. Like, it really is a good breakup movie yeah. <laughs> with her trying to figure out how to take those next steps forward. Yeah, totally. It's a very existential movie in that way. Um, you also kick it off in a very fun way, which was your animated sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, not anything I was expecting at all. And mm-hmm. I kind of realized now after the fact, is it an homage to the Looney Tunes type things that, that Harley loves watching? Yeah, definitely. A little bit of that. I mean, I, you know, I think we, we sort of try to pay homage to the classic comics as well. Mm-hmm. And she's such a... She, she has such a childlike wonder on things, you know, it totally makes sense to me that she'd be eating cereal and watching Looney Tunes. Um, <laughs> and so, I, I, yeah, it was definitely a play on that, all of it, yeah. Right, And but in those bits, too, I thought I saw some traces of uh, Suicide Squad footage. I was wondering, did you use some existing footage from that movie, or did you go back and shoot that stuff yourself? Uh, we did. We actually did use some of the oh, Suicide okay. Squad Very footage, Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, then was there a way, how did you sort of match it up to the color palettes and things that you're going for? Did it match pretty well? Uh, I think we tweaked it a little bit to fit in our world, but the whole point was that it should feel like, you know, a memory. And right. that and that was what everything that she was thinking through, the flashes of that, that she was, you know, that that was what she was, um, that was what was impacting her as she's like driving to, you know, do her thing. Right. So, um, 
So I, I really like that. I like that little flourish, and I think it helped remind people what what the significance of Ace Chemicals is. Did you ever think you were going to get Jared to fill in any of those scenes? I don't think we need Jared. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just able to exist on its own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Just like she doesn't need a Joker. <laughs> I am fascinated by filmmakers um, who get to put their stamp and design on Gotham. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's been so many over the years now, and even just recently now, with Todd Phillips being able to do it, with people watching um, the television show that was inspired by it, but going back to obviously Nolan and, and mm -hmm. Tim Burton. So what were some of the choices you made aesthetically to how you wanted to sort of present? To me, it's such an iconic location that we get to visit every couple of years. Oh. Oh, absolutely. I love Gotham. Yeah. I, I grew up watching the Batman movies and just loving Gotham. And I think there's so many different interpretations of it. I mean, it's been very campy before, like the Joel Schumacher and the Tim Burton ones are, are quite, you know, exaggerated and campy. And, um, and then you've got the Christopher Nolan stuff that's very dark and austere and, you know, a little more serious. And, you know, and I think I wanted to sort of try to do something kind of in the middle of that. And on, on top of that, um, do something that felt... Um, specific to Harley and her perspective. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we see a lot of, and, and Gotham is not a lovely place, right? It's, I mean, that's the whole point. It's like you, you have all these amazing villains that run Gotham and it's not, it, it doesn't work well. <laughs> it's not a perfect society or, or you know, by any means. Right. And that's what's so fun about it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my references like sort of, Spiritually, we're actually just like New York in the 70s and 80s. Um, I'm a New Yorker. I've lived in downtown New York um, for a long, long time. So part of me was really like, you know, I love that, like just a personal connection to it. But um, the way that New York was back then, I think, or at least I guess the idea of it, <laughs> um, the nostalgic version of it is that like, yeah, it was completely broken, like crime infested, you know, like corruption, all of that. But at the same time, like there's such magic and the, there's such crazy characters and crazy stories and amazing art and all of that thrived alongside it. And right. that was sort of the Gotham that I wanted to create where like, yeah, it's not, you know, it, it, it doesn't always work. It's pretty dirty. It's pretty grimy. It's gritty. It's on the streets. Um, you know, um, the rule of law has not, you know, completely worked. Right. But at the same time, like, people are still living their lives and they're having fun and there's still hope and, you know, they just kind of, like, just keep trudging on right. and, and the spirit of that. Well, and Harley doesn't look out of place in your right. vision of yes. it. There's a great moment where she's running through a street fair yeah. and she stops to see the bag that she might actually, you know, stop and buy if she were not being chased by by killers. Totally. <laughs> totally. I mean, the, the, it's funny because I was like, well, how can we camouflage Harley and then we, we found the one place that she could actually sort of be camouflaged. Right. <laughs> Very true. Um, you put up in a really fun sequence motives for why all these people are, mm -hmm. are furious with Harley, mm -hmm. why they would want her dead. And you get a lot of fun with that. Um, mm -hmm. I did notice when Black Mask came up, mm -hmm. there were a lot of them that went past. Yes. <laughs> so fast that you can't even read any of yep. them. Do you remember any of the fun ones that you put in that might have gone past? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we had so much fun throwing out like different ones. I think, you know, it was always granted in character, like what he would be pissed off about, right. what she would do. And it's just so fun and cheeky. Yeah. Such a long history together. Exactly. <laughs> and it obviously shows exactly why you know he is our main antagonist right oh let's talk about you and for a little bit mm -hmm. um i talked to christina about this too of how much of it was on the page um mm -hmm. all these colorful flourishes that he brings mm -hmm. but working with him um she said one thing she said that was really interesting was that he made lines that you guys never actually thought would be funny mm -hmm. um really funny just mm -hmm. the way that he approached them so talk to me about how he created that character because he's to me one of the most memorable dc villains that oh. i think we've seen on screen thank you 
well, he also added lines. Um, you know, I we I I like to work in a way where it's a real collaboration between the actors, and you know, we'll we'll have fun on set, and it's very open, and and you know, you're completely. And, and what was great was like Christina was not precious with the script either, and, and quite supportive of that. And so we were just like you know throwing ideas around, and you know, he'll come up with a line, and I like I love that line. Let's like add it in or whatnot. So. Um, that that happened a lot, and he's just wickedly funny. But I also think because he really understood the character, he really got it, and he understood, you know, the background of the character, the chip on the shoulder, the desire for power, the desire for control, but also the fact that he couldn't really even control his own emotions. He couldn't control his situation particularly well, and that made him extremely angry <laughs> all the time and and resentful, and and you know that was why he wanted to do what he was doing and um and also he just so he was like a man so in love with himself that he couldn't often he often couldn't like see past that so like with all of those ingredients um I thought it was a really interesting and meaty character and then we always knew that like I I like the idea that he was not um you know this like big macho dude that like was just the most obvious or stereotypical version of like a villain in a female driven movie sure. um and obviously he is this party boy and you know he he likes his things he's a collector he's a collector of of, of masks and um and artifacts and of people um and humans um and of women um and so all of that and just creating the world of black mass and the slickness of it and you know we wanted to kind of make him like this showboat and someone that was like cool and interesting and and so like there was no one else that could play that character in my mind sure. you know and Ewan just brings such charisma and charm to it and I always said that I wanted to like Roman Sionis well and you do and that's such a dangerous line to walk mm-hmm. and uh, with almost all of the DC villains mm-hmm. I almost feel like DC does villains in a way oh I love the DC villains for sure they're so relatable mm-hmm. on so many levels it's almost to the point they overshadow the, the heroes more yeah, often yeah they're very that. sympathetic yeah yeah um, they're very sympathetic they're nuanced they're interesting um, and you know with Roman it's like oh god you're laughing with him you know, you're laughing with him. You might think he was even charming, and right. you know when when you have you in there, it, it makes it even easier. That helps a lot. <laughs> yes, it does. Does it surprise you now that the um, DC villains like Joker are getting their own standalone films? Not at all, because I think I I totally agree with you. They've always been wonderful and, and really, really amazing characters, and you know I don't. It's no surprise. I think. I think I spotted a moment where Jai Courtney was on a wanted poster. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Jai Courtney there? It went by so quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, was that just a, an idea to connect to the existing world? A lot of people look for these threads, you know, that pull all these movies together. Yeah, exactly. It was like a cheeky little nod. Gotcha. That was funny. I just wanted to confirm that was definitely there. Um, the scene that stands out to me also, too, which is shown in the trailers, is the Marilyn Monroe sequence. Mm-hmm. It felt like we were able in that moment to go into Harley's mind. You know, for one of the few times, here's what here's what she's seeing things through. Uh, that Harley vision that's important to the comics mm-hmm. um, is that what came through the construction of that scene? As you wanted to sort of take us through her vision of like in a horrible situation that she's in, this is how she would envision herself. Yeah, totally. I think that that's exactly the intent of it, and it was amazingly fun to shoot and to try to figure out like what's the Harley spin on you know the classic the classic Marilyn Monroe sequence and we pay homage in all these interesting ways and um, worked with an amazing 
dance choreographer Ryan Heffington. Um, he is just a genius, and it was so fun. And you know, Margot's in it, and Ewan's in it, and Chris is in it. And there's actually an extended version of of, of the dance sequence that I hopefully will be shared with the world as okay. well. Um, and I used to be a dancer, so it was ex- it's especially fun for me, especially fun to design, to shoot, uh, to you know, kind of recreate. Um, the diamonds in our own way right, right. Um, and you know I think at one point I, I was like it's kind of like a Lynchian razzmatazz <laughs> um, <laughs> now so it didn't exist in the script like did you come and say like we're putting a dance sequence in the middle of this oh no the script it, it did exist in the script and okay. it was pretty much like a huge selling point of the script for me I, I desperately wanted to do that and it was something that like you know, I kind of focused on in my pitch too, because I think it says a lot. I think it says a lot in a really fun, cheeky way. I think, you know, it's even the use of the diamond and the symbolism of that. And, you know, this idea that like, you know, that you want, like a man has to spend, you know, what is it, two, three months of his salary on a diamond because they last forever. Right, and, right. and and the symbolism of that and like belong, you know, like that uh, women can be bought in that way, bought right. and sold in that way. So there was just a lot in there um, that I really liked. I loved the line, you know, like, um, that, like, I thought a man was meant to get the girl a diamond. I mean, all of it was just very, very spot on, I think, and, and, like, and, and very, very layered. Right. And, and then we try to, like, expand on that symbolism of, like, putting her in a pantsuit instead of a dress, um, you know, the, things like that. Interesting. <laughs> oh, this, these are things you'll pick up on multiple views. Yeah, so. and, like, even the black mask. Uh, actually, this, the whole sequence we shot in the black mask club because it's meant to be, you know, a fantasy taken from that scene, from right. that location. Right. And so, um, you know, and all the men are wearing the black mass mask right, and right. we had we had um, um, pink machine guns <laughs> right <laughs> that's so great um, to the point in the black mask um, club Canary sings her song mm-hmm. um, it's a man's world mm-hmm. you know but it would mean nothing without a woman or a girl mm-hmm. uh, commentary on the comic book genre <laughs> <laughs> I, there are so many ways you can interpret that I guess but I just like the idea since we were already doing it with uh, Marilyn mm-hmm. that there would be other moments in the movie where we could just take something that felt very old and traditional and flip it mm-hmm. and give it a different, you know, kind of perspective on it. Oh, that's how I read it. So I <laughs> hope other people read it that way too. Let's keep going through your music because your, <laughs> your song choices are phenomenal. Oh, thank you. And add an extra layer of energy that I think a lot of these movies lack sometimes, you know. There are lulls when you have to get exposition, um, but you figure out ways to cut us through the story um, on the back of a high energy song. So just talk <laughs> about your approach with that. Yeah, I just I really love music. When we um, when we first sat down and we did some camera tests and and, and costume tests, uh, and ultimately this is, there was like a little reel that um, you know came out and um, was available on online. Um, but I had created playlists for all of our all of our different characters. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really important to me, and it was such a it was such an um, evocative way of I think helping the actors understand their characters. Is this during the screenwriting process? This was um, this was a little later than that, but this was like early prep when, when we would do camera tests. So okay. normally you just like do a kind of traditional camera test and you're just making sure that the lighting and, and like the, the type of camera and um, you know, the costumes, it's always a costumes and hair test as well. Right, right. But um, 
I was actually very much inspired by what Todd Phillips did with the, with, with the Joker camera test, where it was like very interesting. And I don't know if you you saw that, but is that it, the first Instagram post that they it put was, out? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Was that, your camera test, that first trailer that you guys put out? Yeah. Uh, if you call it a trailer, it was the. Yes, it was very, very early on. Yeah. It was the it was to the moderate song. Yeah. 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 So that wasn't a trailer. That was just clips First from our camera test. Sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and the moderate song was actually a song that I had chosen for Huntress. Okay. Um, originally. But yeah, I, I kind of created these playlists for everybody. And that's just, I, I always do that for all of my characters. I, I think it's really fun. And so music was always a huge element of this movie for me. I'll tell you what we have to do when that comes out. Freeze frame it <laughs> because the montage goes by really fast. It does. Like, there's yes. us. Wait, yes. there's you and I think yes. I see you and yeah, exactly. Canary. There you guys see him. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, let's transition to the physicality of Margot. Um, you and I talked in the earlier uh, bit about putting her in roller skates, mm-hmm. but the interesting thing about Harley, I find, um, is that she's a person. You know, she's a normal person, and mm-hmm. so when you approach stunts, it's not like you can fall back on her superpowers. Right. Um, how much do you put? We had Yeah, how much thought do you put into choreographing? You have some amazing Mm -hmm. fight sequences and especially the roller skates in the back of the car. Mm -hmm. How much do you stop to think about, like, I can only put her through so much (laughs) because she's a person. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was always this interesting interesting line that we were towing with the whole movie like it's a heightened world but right. it, there was also something kind of realistic about it mm-hmm. and I always tried to ground everything in um, in you know in in a related human you know emotion mm-hmm. or something and so like with Harley she's a great gymnast she she obviously knows her way around a mallet and a bat um, and that was kind of what we focused on it's like okay so what is she actually able to do um, is her flexibility an asset right. um, you know and also talking like considering what women are better at in some ways or how can a woman like actually fight men right. you know and it's not necessarily strength but maybe it's um, maybe it's flexibility right. maybe it's the fact that they are smaller and, and, and you know and shorter and they can kind of get around things or maybe they're faster or maybe they're more creative or you know I think um, Harley also has a superpower called her brain yeah. right? and she's very like able to psychoanalyze people and she's quite smart and she's like ahead of you and how like you know we so that was all part of it too that was that was by design that was something that we considered very very much for all of the characters and for all the action sequences. How's the conversation when you say, um, we're going to have her inhale a lot of cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we just lean into that R rating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I chalked up as something I never thought I would ever see. <laughs> I know, but it just feels right. <laughs> it really does. Um, there's a great also uh, prison fight sequence uh, where uh, a lot of convicts are released uh, yeah. at one time that are in Gotham's yeah. uh, prison cells. I was curious, did you ever think about putting like a famous recognizable DC villain in there at any point? Oh, no. No, but that would have been a smart idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back. Yeah. Reshoots. <laughs> um, there were reports that uh, Chad Stahelski came on board and helped with the action. I'm curious what your collaboration was like with him. Because yeah, I sure. came out of this raving about the action sequences and think that they turned out really great. So how did you two work together? Yeah, so we had been working with 8711 from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I that was the style that I wanted for the movie. It just felt right. It was that, like, mix of practical but also heightened, you know, mm-hmm. um, like where it felt really real, but, like, they were also kind of having fun with it. And I liked the way it was shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked that it wasn't too cutty, like all of, you know, all of his work beforehand. And so, um, you know, during production, uh, I, you know, was working mostly with, Jonathan Eusebio on that um, and he's just a delight and you know choreographed 
some really amazing fight sequences. And then when it came to reshoots, it was like, let's add more action. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just make, you know, let's lean into this. It's working and let's make it even more cool and badass. And at that time, I think Chad was just available. So it was like, cool. (laughs) We get the best of the best. Isn't that lucky? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, and because obviously he runs 8711, so it just kind of became this natural fit. Um, And he really, I think, he just... It was really interesting to see how he shoots things too, you know, um, and 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 working with him in that way, and just kind of having fun. And and he's he's awesome. Like he's a real. I think it was interesting because he's a real director, and so I think we actually kind of learned a lot from each other because he's quite a cinephile, and so we would talk about just like, you know, completely like <laughs> geeky ran, references. Yeah, geek out yeah. about like. Tarkovsky and you know and whatnot and we'll talk about that and then he'll be like well here's this trick to do this for you know like you can't you know like if you're shooting a punch you want to shoot you know like little tricks of the trade that he he just knows better than anyone and like the rigging involved and whatnot so I like learned so much from him and his team um in terms of just like the yeah like how to shoot stunts how the practicality of of like you know, all the equipment and stuff that I, I'd never I'd never seen before, I'd never worked with before. He joined our show to talk about John Wick 3. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the dog uh, fight sequences where mm-hmm. they sick dogs on people. Yeah. And he broke down how many weeks it takes yeah. to get the dogs used to your stunt performers, mm-hmm. that they have to spend time around each other, you mm-hmm. know, so that when you go for these, and you never think about the amount of work that goes into the, you're watching a sequence and you're like, Man, this looks amazing, mm-hmm. but it's months of preparation, and that brings me to your funhouse scene, mm-hmm. which is fantastic, you know. And I think the the, the reason to go is <laughs> because it's unlike anything that you've ever seen. But it's such a DC Harley, you know, fight sequence. Yeah. But halfway through it, I'm watching it. I'm thinking, this must have been crazy to prep, just to choreograph and to and to pull off all of that. Was it the most daunting thing that you guys worked on in the movie? Oh yeah, and you know, I had doubts about it. The, everyone had doubts about it. <laughs> thankfully, I stuck to my guns about that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was actually an idea I had very, very early on, where there was always going to be that moment when all the women came together and they fought for sure. the final time and to protect Cass. And I thought, like, let's shoot it in a way where it feels um, celebratory and fluid. And, like, they're finally, like, the kinks have been worked out and they're working as a team. And, you know, it's not, like, stop and go, but it just kind of has this, like, momentum to it. And then it was such an interesting, like, interdepartmental challenge, the fun house, because it was a lot of production design and KK Barrett is an absolute genius. And so he creates these like little models of things. And, and actually in the original script, it wasn't a fun house. It was um, something else. And then, um, still a carnival or, uh, there are carnival elements to it, but it was not a fun house. Partially probably because, Christina was like, I'm not going to write that because that sounds crazy and I don't want to give that challenge to Kathy, you know? Um, But then, of course, like, you know, of course, I was like, let's do a fun house. Um, And that was really, really just so fun to create in the world of that. And, you know, KK would create these, like, tiny little models. And so you would actually see the whole thing and what it looked like and the layers and textures of it and, you know, and all the female um, figures and the booby trap and all of that. It was just so fun to infuse it all and figuring out, like, you know, we wanted every woman to sort of have her, have her, um, have her, have her, um, 
moment. Moments, I guess, or her like little corner. Mary Elizabeth kills a guy on yeah, a slide. Exactly. Um, <laughs> that was my fantasy. I can't believe that actually happened. <laughs> That's insane. Um, and so we just had so much fun with it and and, and and then of course it was like production design it was special effects so that like the actual physic like the physics behind it and having to work with a slide company and having to work with like you know physicists to figure out like you know how do we do these moving floors how sure. do we move the carousel what's like the number of people like the weight of the carousel I think the first carousel we had just like buckled under the weight of everyone right. and all of that had to be tested and then created and then only then um, could the stunt team actually come in and choreograph it oh um, and on top of that then the women had to learn it of course um, and on top of that for the carousel itself that was just a crazy task that I regretted at the time imposing on everyone but now I'm very happy about it <laughs> you know thankful for but like it was just it was um, the idea of having all of our women fighting so it was like five women, like the, the four women plus Cassandra Kane, plus like five to ten, um, you know, um, stunt players as well, sure. plus our camera guy in the on the movie rig, plus all of sound, plus me, plus everyone, and we all had to move in tandem to get out of each other's way. Oh my gosh! So that was that's that. incredible. So we had to watch. I worked with Jojo and the team on choreographing the fight sequence and what it would look like. And I loved the moment where it was like, pass the cast, you know, and they just, you know, we follow cast and she just gets like bumped around and, you know, things come in and out of frame and, you know, we use foreground and background. Um, and then, and then once we saw that just many, many, many times, uh, Maddie Libertique, our amazing DP would come on the carousel and then kind of start to figure out how to um, like dance with it you know, with the camera and so it became this like kind of epic dance um, and because these shots were really long I mean it's off, there were shots that were like 30 seconds long right. um, and no one can mess it up <laughs> and so right. there was a lot of that and the whole time Margo's on freaking roller skates right. uh, so right. Right. you know and we had like the bouncy hands there's just so much going on and I remember every take that we did too we actually had to um, make sure that we started and stopped at the same place because all the backgrounds were changed. <laughs> oh my gosh. But there was actually no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But actually, there was no better way to shoot it because if you try to cut up a scene like that, right. it's actually incredibly confusing. You don't know who to look at, the background is changing, you know? So it actually ended up being almost the only way to shoot it. Right. Um, but of course it was way more challenging that way because you you almost ha you had to get a perfect take right. in order to move on. You couldn't settle. Right, yeah. very true. So please, everybody, when you see the movie, pay attention to that sequence. <laughs> There's a lot of time and effort went into it by a lot of passionate people, so. Yeah, and a lot of, and a lot of um, you know, the cast hating my guts for a while. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to run out of time, so I just want to thank you so much for joining the podcast, Thank Kathy. you. It's a pleasure <laughs> to talk to you. Thank you so much, obviously, to Kathy for joining us and talking Birds of Prey and also to our good friends at Warner Brothers for hooking us up with that interview. We love the fact that when we get to do a junket, uh, that they take the time to uh, carve out some space for uh, the directors to join us or even some of the cast members to join us on this show. We hope to continue to do a lot of that uh, in the coming weeks. All right, we got a lot to get to this week in terms of Sunday being uh, the Academy Awards. And what we're going to do is go through each category right now, uh, read off the nominees and give you our picks uh, for who we think is going to win. Now, Gabe is going to keep track of this entire thing. And we worked up a fun bet. Last year, we did burgers. 
obviously we're big fans of burgers on this show. Uh, everybody has their their brand of choice, as you know, essentially, um, if you've listened to the show or followed us on social media. This year, Kev, we're going to do something a little different. Why don't you explain to uh, to the blenders out there yeah. <laughs> what the winner of the contest is going to get to do? I'm already like I'm already so excited about this unless I lose. But I, I there are what we're going to do is the winner of the uh, Oscar ballot in regards to getting the most nominees and most predictions right is going to have to choose two horrendously bad films for the two losers to watch. Uh, and so we were riffing back and forth before the show started about possible horrendous films to show people. And one of the movies, which I'm I'm kind of hoping Jake doesn't win because I Jake's never seen a movie called Irreversible and I uh, that's the only movie in my my lifetime that I've ever turned off midway through because I just couldn't handle how brutal it was after that fire extinguisher sequence but so I uh, I, I would love to hear Jake's reaction to that film because it is just a horrifyingly brutal experience but that's my, what, will, what will happen yeah my choice is uh, probably going to be one of the Human Centipede movies <laughs> I, and not even Kevin said he had to sort of dry heave during the first one. Oh yeah, oh, the yeah. first one is pretty tame compared to its yeah. sequels so uh we may get it because by that second or third one, I forget which one it is, they end up in a prison and it's a lot of prisoners tied together. Yeah, like you that do. was a, in yeah, a prison that, yard. The first time I ever saw Human Centipede, I was telling you guys, I was living in a townhouse with roommates and uh, I think I got a link for it because I was like reviewing the film at the, uh, on the radio at that time. And I had to get up and physically dry heave into my sink in my bathroom about three times. I remember three times specifically getting up and doing that because it was so <laughs> nasty. Um, but yeah, so that's what's going to happen. So whoever wins and gets the most predictions right gets to choose the two films that the two losers have to watch. And then those two losers uh, have, to ha- have the ability, they are allowed to live tweet it if they want to. Um, but that is the punishment for losing. At the very least, we will come back to the show and give uh, official reviews of the horrible movie that we had to watch. And it's kind of an honor system, but I think we all trusted each other enough that uh, if we're assigned a horrific movie, uh, that person will have to sit all the way through it and if, come back with a review. If Jake watches Irreversible, though, I want a full live stream of his face. Like okay. I, I want FaceTime during that movie. Oh, man. I, I don't wish that movie on anybody. It's so horrible. You're, you're actually kind of making me curious to watch it at this point. No, yeah. trust me. Sean, I'm not I'm not overselling how disgusting this film is. No, you're not. And only, yeah. you, like, I had forgotten the fire extinguisher moment. Is it a horror movie? You brought, it's uh, it's uh, hard to describe. Yeah. To describe. No, it's yeah. not a horror movie. It's, it's uh, like, it's like a, it's like a psychological I don't even, I, I never finished it. I actually like don't know a, what it's like about. It's like a rom-com. It's like a rom-com. Yeah, Julia rom-com. Roberts is in it. It's All a right. sequel to Love Actually. Yeah. We're going to start with visual effects and I'll read you guys. Okay, so here are the nominations or the nominees for visual effects uh, at the Academy Awards, which will be given out this Sunday. Uh, Avengers Endgame. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. 1917. The Irishman and The Lion King. Uh, I'll go first. I'm going to say the visual effects are going to go to uh, The Lion King. Jake? I'm going to say 1917. I'm going to say 1917 as well, only because that film is such a technical achievement that I feel like that's what people are thinking about when they think about visual effects. Uh, I think Lion King, uh, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm going to go I'm gonna go 1917. Okay, let's jump to costume design. <clears throat> you have The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Kev. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. The, the, the sound of the drill, it's like this recurring comedic bit, and it sounds like someone's I'm farting. I'm glad that you guys think this is funny, because I actually have to be in this freaking apartment while it's happening. Well, Jake, and the best thing about the situation is you actually could pass gas loudly, and we would not know. We would just think it was a drill. Hashtag bathroom blend. All right, uh, all right. Repeat the uh, real quick on the right. on the costume design. Costume design, and Kevin, you're going to pick first. Irishman, okay. Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Little Women, Jakey, Little Women, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I hope so. I hope so too. And for clarification, these are not what we want to win, but what no. we think will win. Yeah, just well, to just And to so far, we haven't <clears throat> all really... Well, you guys have agreed on your two picks so far, but Gabe has also said he has a tiebreaker if, in place. Oh, if Kevin and I both tie and win, we should be oh. able to pick two movies that you have to watch. Well, that's really not fair. You know <laughs> what? not fair. Je- I know Gabe does have a, a plan if we tie. We're only two categories in. I'm sure Kevin and I are yeah. going to disagree at some point. Well, Ga- And Gabe did say in a very harsh manner before the show started, um, whoever doesn't win is the loser. Like he wanted to <laughs> emphasize, <laughs> if you don't win, you're you, immediate. Did he say the loser or a loser? He a said loser. Lo- no, he said la who zeher. Who zeher. And he moved his, his hand around as he did it. La who zeher. He does a fancy rap. Sign. <laughs> All right, original song. Wait, no, no, no. Sorry, makeup and hair. Makeup and hair. Bombshell. Joker. Judy. Maleficent. Mistress of Evil. And 1917. Jake. I'm gonna go with bombshell. Kevin. Bombshell. Poof. I'm gonna go Joker. But then Joaquin Phoenix would have to get that award because he did his own makeup. Joaquin. Yes, and we discussed that on our show. (laughs) I know, we asked him that. (laughs) Oh my God, Maleficent Mistress of Evil is an Oscar nominee. Process. Suicide Squad's an Oscar winner. Yeah, yeah. It has an Oscar? It had a win? Doesn't Suicide Squad win an Oscar? Yeah. For what? One of of the sound uh, categories. Really? Good Lord. It's like that that famous Jon Stewart line, uh, Suicide Squad won. Gangs in New York, zero. <laughs> <laughs> All right, original song. Uh, the, I'll give you the movies because I don't have the songs here. Toy Story 4, Rocket Man, Breakthrough, Frozen 2, and Harriet. Uh, I'm going Rocket Man. I'm also going Rocket Man. Oh, wow, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with, I mean, I feel like Rocket Man is the easy choice, right? Because you want... Elton John and Bernie to get on stage, and didn't they win the Globe? They did win the Globe. Yes. All right. All right. Well, well. Also, <clears throat> when we're giving these, maybe we, if we can insert some reasoning, I, I think there's some interesting aspects to it because once we once we get to the the larger categories, especially yeah. Best Picture, that's when I feel like we've to... got 78 categories. So yeah, I'll I know, save my reasoning for the big ones. But I well, think that's interesting. I, that's that my reasoning for picking that is because they won the Globe. But with Harriet. Um, Wait, no, Cynthia Revo, she didn't write that song. She just performed she, she it. She did. Oh, she did write it also. She did, yeah. If, she, if that if that song wins, I think Cynthia Revo is an Oscar winner. And she gets an EGOT. I think Oscar is the last one she needs. Wait, really? really? I'm pretty sure I read that today. Yes. What does she have an Emmy for? Uh, I, I know Broadway, Tony, makes sense. Um, Grammy, I can see that for singing. And I just don't know what she would have an Emmy for unless there was some kind of... I don't know. Um, also, a quick know. sidebar. She is so good in The Outsider right now. If you're not watching The Outsider, you're missing out. She won. Uh, hold on. 
a daytime Emmy Award in 2017 for outstanding mu- musical performance in a daytime program. Does daytime Emmy count as an EGOT? <clears throat> I think so. Sure. Okay. You guys okay. know I'm only three awards away from an EGOT. <laughs> yes, we know that. <laughs> I, just have, I just have the GOT. <laughs> yes. And hair. Don't forget hair. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever take hair away from yourself, my friend. Well, if you put uh, an H on the end, then I, I would have an EGOT. All right. Here's where things get really exciting. Original score. Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Joker. I think, yeah, Joker. I'd love if, I, honestly, I'd love to see them put another Oscar in John Williams' hands, but well, I don't think it's going to be for Rise of Skywalker. That's that's where I am torn uh, because I want to side with you guys and pick uh, Hilder for Joker, and she's won just about everything up until Sean, this point. Yeah. I'm going to be your friend here. Yes. Hilda's going to win it. Follow right. your just, brain, just, not just, your just heart. I will say, it, I will say yeah. Joker. Yes, it's, it's, I, will say it's, it's, I feel like you're voting from your heart. Yeah, that category's <laughs> over. I, I, and, I, and what's interesting about that, did you guys see they announced that they're going to go on tour with the I Joker that. score? That's awesome. Yes, I, they're going to sh- perform the show or b- screen the movie and have an, a symphony accompaniment. Oh, with that's it. awesome. I saw someone put a joke the, the other day about like people are going to be dancing down the steps of the aisles of the <laughs> <laughs> at the concert. Oh, that'd be funny. Uh, yeah, I think she's going to win. Okay, production design. The Irishman. Jojo Rabbit. 1917, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm. and Parasite. That's a tough one. Well, Hollywood deserves it, but we all know 17's gonna get it. I'm gonna get. I'm so? gonna say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hmm. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood wins. But remember, 1970. Again, I don't want to sway votes. Yeah, but the production design here. of Hollywood, I think, is oh, is immiscible. I agree, but remember the featurettes of 1917 and those. Vast landscapes, yeah. digging the trenches. I feel like that's going to be taken I'm into still, consideration. I'm but, going Hollywood. Uh, all right. Production design. Let's see. See, now <clears throat> Kevin and I are all right. diverting okay in that. the woods, baby. I don't, know, I don't know why I'm helping you guys. What am I doing? But that's, yeah, that's okay. You no, want us to okay. watch, you want us to watch quality cinema. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say Hollywood in this, in production design. Hot also. damn. Yeah. And I, I want to, I want to let everybody know this is throwing me off because we have show notes open here. And, um, Gabe only put the uh, acronym for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's so, every time I come on it, it looks like the Van Halen album, uh, OU812. And I just want to, <laughs> I want to say that. Every, it's O-U-A-T-I-H. And it trips me up every single time. I thought that same reaction, like when the film was coming out on Twitter, people would like do that. <laughs> and I would be like, what the heck are they talking about? Like, right, what, right. Brad Pitt was in what? I have no idea what that what that what meant. Oh. It's a weird acronym. It really is. Today, I saw someone do the acronym for Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous oh. Emancipation <laughs> of One Harley Quinn. What like, is the acronym for that? I mean, it's... it's I, I, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, it's really long and stupid. I mean, that's the title, the title makes no sense. However, when I got to, uh, and saw that movie, it, it, it's a breakup movie. Kevin, you'll see, you're going to, yeah. Kevin's going to see it in a little bit. Wait, well, the trailers Gabe, tell you that. Yeah. Gabe, were we supposed to review that movie or are we doing it later? We were supposed to review it earlier. Later. We're going to do it on the later. show. Movies, movies of the week. Yep. Anyhow, sound mixing. All right, here we go. Sound mixing goes to Ad Astra, Ford V Ferrari, Joker, 1917, and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I am going to give that to 1917. Same. Ford versus Ferrari deserves that, but 17 is going to take it. 
It really does deserve it. The sound in Ford Ferrari is incredible. Uh, Let's go right to sound editing then. Essentially, you're looking at the same uh, films for the most part, Ford v. Ferrari, Joker, 1917, Hollywood, and Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Sound editing. 1917. 1917. I will say 1917 also. All right. Now, this is going to get really interesting. We're shifting to the category of film editing, a category that, for the most part, lines up pretty closely with uh, Best Picture. And yet, we have a couple of uh, major film editors who did not uh, make it into this cut, even though their film is in the Best Picture race. So, let's see where we go. Film editing, Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, and Parasite. See, this is this is where it gets interesting, because Parasite, if it wins Best Picture, it would make sense that it would win editing. Um, now, okay, all right, question. Editing editing has nothing to do with the actual visual effects, uh, clear, to clarify that. Um, so uh, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Uh, here, here's why I asked that question. Because yeah. Irishman, I don't think, has great visual effects. I don't think the CG is incredible. But the editing of that film is well is extremely well done. Um, so I wonder if that plays into it. Uh, I mean, it's funny because I feel like... I don't know where are you guys going on this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Irishman. <clears throat> I'm gonna say Ford versus Ferrari. I'm gonna say Jojo Rabbit. Oh, oh all right. Like, interesting. All right, I like that. I like that. Okay. I'm gonna say Jojo Rabbit. No one said Parasite. No. No. Uh, you know what? That's that's. Oh, it's, probably, it's probably the one that's gonna win, but it's fine. God. All right. International feature film. We all say Parasite. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's skip to the next one. Documentary feature. All right, this is going to be a problem. I haven't seen these. Uh, Documentary feature. There's a very clear Uh, answer. American Factory, The Cave, The Edge of Democracy, Forsama, and Honeyland. There's an obvious answer here? Yeah. I'm going to say American Factory because it's President Obama. There you go. American Factory. Well, all right. I'll say that too then. <laughs> I really don't know. We probably should have sent these to Gabe before we did this, but it's fine. I actually like no, it this way. I like figuring it out in the moment. Me too. Yeah. Me too. All right. All right. Cinematography Irishman, Joker, Lighthouse, 1917, and Hollywood. You don't like me, lobster? <laughs> please, Big Lighthouse, please. <laughs> oh, God. Um,. I'm I mean, going with Deacons again. Deacons, yeah. baby. Deacons. Deacons. Over Richardson, huh? Well, it should be Richardson, but Deacons is going to win it. Yes. Uh, Oscar Richardson the yeah. third. I love that nickname so much. <laughs> all right. We all say 1917. Boy, that's yep. a lot of wins for 1917 so far. All right. Will this Are be we- a Mad Max situation if it doesn't win Best Picture? They want all those uh, tech, all that tech stuff. Well, we'll discuss. Let, I, we have some serious things to discuss with the director picture breakdown. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll get there. Original by the way, I'm super excited about because I don't we don't know what's going to win. It's just really kind of cool. But continue. But, but you what do you mean? We don't know. You swear up and down. It's 1917. Well, uh, yeah, I know. But I'm saying like parasites creeping in there. So but we'll get to that. It is. Go ahead. I'm going to watch Parasite again this weekend because Michelle hasn't seen it yet. And she's keeps asking me, like, should I see this film? And I said, yeah, absolutely. You should watch it. But there's a couple things. She doesn't. So I, I think we're going to watch it on Saturday. Not not that anyone cares. Does anyone care? That I'm going to watch it on Saturday. Thanks, sure, God. I do. Thank Appreciate you. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Original screenplay. Knives Out. Marriage Story. 1917. 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite, original screenplay. Jakey. I'm I'm sorry, I don't think I know it's it, I don't think yeah. it's going to our boy. I think it's going it's to not, Parasite. It is. I'm going with Quentin. Here's I hope you're right. I really hope you're right. Yeah, why yeah. are you guys turning on this all of a sudden? Oh, oh no, no, there's I no feel, turning. I feel like again, again not heart, not heart. I'm not saying No, no. I feel like Parasite has just got the wind behind it right now, and I feel like and and I know that, that Quentin was didn't compete for the for the Writers Guild, but if anything, that just means and but Parasite won the Writers Guild in the original screenplay category, and so that means it's it's on everyone's radar. Um I just I feel like Parasite just sort of has everyone's attention right now. I'm going to be completely uh, transparent here, uh, which I, I am always honest, but this is a very uh, interesting category because I feel like Parasite is going to win, but I can't predict it. I just can't do that to, to Quentin Tarantino. I, just, I can't. I, I want to put the I want to put this out in the universe that he's going to win. I have no idea what's going to happen. But Parasite, Jake is Jake is definitely leaning towards where that award is probably going to go. But I'm going to, you know, Quentin clearly deserves it over. Good for you for following your heart. I hope you but, remember that whenever you have to watch whatever horrible movie I'm going to put in front what? of your eyes. If I lose by one and it's because of that, I'll take it. It's well, fine. And here's why I'll say this, because as we get into these other categories, I'm, I'm really afraid Quentin's not going to win. And I think a lot of people will be willing to give him screenplay uh, if they go a different direction. But you're assuming that people vote in the big picture. Oh, I think they do. You think yes. they do? I think more people do than not. Yes. Especially when you hear those anonymous ballot stories, which are really frustrating, uh, to be honest. Yeah. I hate those. Those are so but, like, why, why do we still? But when you hear the, the rationale given by a lot of people, yeah. you're like, God, I never would have even thought that. Are you kidding me? And yeah. but that's where people come up, come across with when they have cast their ballots. So yeah. I, I think so. I honestly at the moment right now, I do actually think Quentin Tarantino is going to win. But I am very af- afraid of Parasite sneaking in there and grabbing that from. Quentin. Look, I would rather be wrong and you guys get a point over me than be yeah. right and get the, and then and Quentin not win. So I'm, I'm going to yeah. say Parasite, but I, I hope I'm wrong. All right, let's move to adapted screenplay. It's kind of interesting, too. Uh, we have The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, and The Two Popes. I'm going to say Little Women takes this one. I'm going to say Taika and Jojo take it. Ooh, I, interesting. I agree. I agree. Oh, interesting. It's going to be did, Jojo Rabbit. Did they rent win Writer's Guild? They did. Interesting. No, I, I oh, don't. Don't come good. back now, O'Connell. No, I'm not. I'm still saying Little Women. I was just curious. That's that's uh that's intriguing. It's so funny. Like there are a couple of these movies that make me feel like have we given we gave score to Joker. Um, but I'm trying to think of what else we gave. Like, are some of these movies going to get a bunch of nominations but not win anything? Like, what would Jojo win? What would Little Women win? Um, you know, is Irishman actually going to get shut out basically out of oh, every category? Irishman's going over like, ten. That's crazy to me. Yeah. All right. And that will be the I, second I, time Scorsese has had a movie go 0 for 10. I Ugh. did actually have a thought today at work about predicting the Irishman to win Best Picture just because it would be so bat-ess insane if that happened. Like, you know, I, you know what I mean? I, haven't, I don't know. But All right. Uh, Gabe wants me to point out that right now, Kevin and Jake only have two categories that are different picks from one another. So. Okay. There's a very good chance you two may tie and I have to watch something horrible because <laughs> I went out on a limb for poor Greta Gerwig. Uh, animated feature. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. 
I Lost My Body, Klaus, Missing Link, and Toy Story 4. I'm going to go Missing Link. I feel like this is a tougher one than people are giving it credit for. I'm going to say Toy Story 4, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm wrong. I could see it going to Missing Link. I could see it going to Klaus. But I'm going to say Toy Story 4. Because I feel like talking about the average Oscar viewer, I feel like they're just going to go, they're just going to say, oh, like Pixar, Toy Story 4. I'm going to say I lost my body. I'm going to say Missing Link. Okay, there you go. All three of us, different picks. Wait, didn't Missing Link win the Golden Globe? (laughs) I mean, yeah, but... That's why. That's I mean, the only reason why I'm going with that. I, mean, I haven't. I, I mean, haven't, yeah, I haven't I seen mean, this come in on. Link, So okay, here we go. Gabe, are you happy? We're different now. Best director. <laughs> Martin Scorsese. Todd Phillips. Sam Mendes. Mendes. <laughs> Sorry, dude. He's been on the show. Friend of the show, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> and uh, Bong Joon Ho. For Parasite. All right. Go ahead, Kevin. Pick Quentin. Kev? Go ahead. Kev? Oh, Stick to your heart. Go ahead. Oh. Well, there's no heart here. We know Mendez is going to win this, right? I'm going Sam Mendez. I, I don't know, man. I, I, listen, I, I understand. How quickly you abandon your, your, uh, your morals whenever it, it comes to the big category. Oh, here's the thing. At the end of the day, I still actually think Quentin's going to win screenplay, but your Parasite pick is actually something that I've been thinking about a lot and that's coming up. So that I, it, they're neck and neck, but I went with Quentin because that's who I've been thinking about all along in regards to that category. This category is Mendez. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with him. Yeah, I think it's, it's Mendez. Mendez. I think it's Mendez's to lose. And, and again, I'm fine with that. I don't know why I feel bad picking him. I did. Kevin, it's a it's a remarkable achievement. It's a remarkable technical achievement. He's a, a director. This is where we get into our argument about what a director does. Directors sure. tell a story and yes. have to get emotions out of the audience. But they have I, to put the story on oh, the film. I get that. But Sam, Sam's not shooting the movie. Roger Deakins is the star of that film, not Sam Mendes. He had to tell Deacon. Deakins didn't even want to do it that way. That's fine. My point being is that Sam Mendes as is a storyteller, and he's I think he's a very, very good director. I freaking love Road to Perdition and American Beauty. But the director award Skyfall. for that movie, that's not a director's movie. I'm sorry. It's not. Yeah. Do you yes, know you're the is? first person to say, whenever we were talking about sort of the one shot, you're the first uh, person to say, well, Hitchcock already did it for Rope. So yeah. you, don't, you don't say the cinematographer did it for Rope. You say Hitchcock no, no, no. did it for Rope. Well, first of all, who first is all, the cinematographer of Rope, by the I way? I have no idea the, the cinematographer of Rope. That's is. your point. Dude, proved your dude. Point. <laughs> you're missing the point. Back in the day, Hitchcock, it was all his decision process in regards to those 10-minute film Mendes's mags. decision. I'm just saying, I, I do not. Also, Rope is a much more emotional film than No, we're not talking about that. We're talking okay, about right. something he crafted. Okay. So, so I don't think question, so. I think Rope is just as much about the gimmick as you claim 1917. I disagree. Rope was Rope, dude. 1917. Just because you like the story was, better doesn't mean yeah. no. That no, dude. Hitchcock did not come out with a four minute featurette that played in movie theaters explaining how he did his movie. That's a he didn't have you to can't do, that. do that. That's a different world, man. Come on, 1917. Dude, is I a, hope we're not. I, know, I hope we're not hurting you by poking holes in your uh, nah, in your dude, argument. It could have been worse. I, I, what's funny about this conversation, and I can't wait to have this a year later neither of you actually care about 1917's characters. no i do it I was my it. number three of the year no you do not there's no way that you it was, think about it was my number three of the year i you think can't about, tell us we don't care about a movie 
No, I do not think you genuinely cared about those characters. I think you were blown away by the, te- by the technical achievement. I think the story grabbed Dude, you. You can't do that. I, I, I'm. That's my opinion. I just. I do know, but not you just. Feel... But you're letting your opinion of the movie sway how we feel about a movie. No. What if my... I if, if I told you that I didn't think you actually genuinely care about the characters of Jay and Silent Bob reboot yeah. because. I don't care about the characters like that. I mean, what? Like, it's, how would you respond to that? It's the same thing you do to me when you tell me that I'm like I'm disliking a film because it's gaining traction at the Oscars. That that that. Yes, you did. You you. I never tell you that. I would. I admitted to me doing that sometimes. You said that I was not liking 1917 or Parasite because they were gaining traction and popularity to win Best Picture. You said that. I actually, I remember you saying it to, to me, and I was like, that that's not true. It has nothing to do with the popularity of a film. I mean, it's the same thing you're, uh, that I'm saying back to you. I just don't agree that 1917 was an emotional film that worked. I, I know, thought it brother. was technically cool. That's right. I don't think Mendez deserves. Best I think. Director. I think. I think your argument's leaking because of all the holes we're poking in it. There's no I holes was, in it, man. I, 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 oh, I'm there are holes. There are holes. There are holes the size of of, of us plot holes. That's how. That's how oh, big the don't holes do are. That. Come that's on, how giant gotta... the holes are. Jake, tell me the two leading characters' names in 1917. Dude, you know how many movies no, I couldn't. No, 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 no. Barely remember your three <laughs> names at the end of tell this podcast me, every week. Tell me the two. You know how many char- people I come across on the whose, whose names are, dude? I'm, they, I'm that's, that means nothing. That means tell absolutely me nothing. The George two, and Frank. That, okay, that's ridiculous. No, Jake didn't know that though. That means but nothing. It does mean something. It means I also, nothing. I also think it's. I think I'm wrong. I think one of them might be George, but the other one's definitely not Frank. One of them's Schofield. That's all I remember. Oh right, yes. That exactly. means absolutely nothing. Okay, hold on. I would like to honor the uh, the the two directors of photography that Hitchcock needed to pull off rope. By the way, their names sure. are William Skull and Joseph Valentine. Yeah. So you learned something in today's but episode. Of the rope difference rope. between rope. And 1917 is that yes. Rope actually has a great story with great performances that is memorable and that it, it rises above the technical achievement. 19- but you call it Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. You don't it is even Alfred know Hitchcock's Susan- Rope. Dude, 1917 is Roger Deakins' movie, not Sam Mendes' That film. makes no I don't sense. That. I don't understand how you do that. It makes perfect sense. You can't, You're missing. You can't say that. You are missing the point. All right, I'm going to say this one more time and then we'll move on. 1917 is a technical achievement, no. and I do not think it was well-directed. I think it was well-shot and well-executed in that standpoint. A director, in my opinion... Kevin! <laughs> a director, in my opinion, tells a great story that captures its audience and gives you memorable characters that you actually care about wait, throughout oh, the wait, journey. Oh, wait, wait, okay, oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay, 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 okay. Go okay. ahead. So whoever is credited with directing Irreversible uh. is not a director? Because you don't like the story or the characters. I turned off Irreversible. I've never finished it. How can I tell you what the movie, if I liked it or not? But why did they, why does the story and the character have to matter whether they qualify as a director or not? Because story is the most important job of a director. Any director will tell you that. And you you guys can, Steven Spielberg will tell you that story is more important. I don't disagree with that. Okay. No, I don't. so, So nothing in my opinion in 1917, for me personally, did not grab me. And wasn't memorable story-wise. But that doesn't mean you can strip away his title of director. He still I never didn't, said he didn't no, direct the so, movie. So, so right. I don't, Kevin, I didn't, if, if, if I, let, let's say as a reporter, mm, I pull off a live shot yeah. from space where uh-huh. I plummet down to the <laughs> earth, yeah. but it's a fairly long and boring live shot. Are you sure. going to say that I'm, a bo- that I'm not a, like, aside from the fact that I pulled off a live shot going from space down to earth, are you going to yeah. say I'm not a reporter because it was boring? 
Report, no, no, no. We're talking about two different things. I, I would know, tell we're you. We're talking about no. if you don't care that that it takes away from the fact that he pulled off an astonishing achievement. I would tell you that that live shot had a great technical achievement, but did not have a good storytelling tool, which is the director's fault. Excellent. All right, fine. We're never going to settle this. Uh, we all made our picks. Let's move on to supporting actress. Whew. All right. Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh for Little Women. And Margot Robbie for Bombshell. I'm saying Laura Dern. I think it's, yeah, I, I think we're about to hit four in a row that we all agree on. I think it's going to be Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Yeah, yeah you agree. I, 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 this is frustrating in the sense that I think all of these actor categories are locked up. So let's go to supporting actor. You have Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes. Oh, Two Popes is another one that has a bunch of nominations and doesn't feel like it's going to win anything, unfortunately, because I think it's it's a charming movie. But I also feel like the, it got a lot more nominations than it expected to. So I think for them, the, uh, the nominations are the win. Probably. Um Al Pacino for The Irishman, Joe Pesci for The Irishman, and what I would assume is our choice for winner, Brad Pitt for OU812. Correct? <laughs> yep. The real <laughs> winner is, does Pesci show up? Oh, no. No, no, no. no. I don't, absolutely not. Lead actress, Cynthia Revo for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, and Renee Zellweger for Judy. Now, if any of the four acting categories have a potential for an upset. I kind of feel like it's here. And it happens every once in a while, right? Somebody picks up all of them along the way, and then uh, then you get to one who doesn't win. And uh, while I think that Renee Zellweger has picked up everything up until this point, uh, I think there's a potential for her to be upset by someone like Charlize Theron for Bombshell. But I don't think that enough to not pick Renee Zellweger for Judy. I will say Judy on the record. Yeah, I think it's going to be Renee. I think this is actually one of the more boring categories. Um, I, I would if I if there were going to be an upset, I'd be okay with it being this cat. I just, I just really didn't like that movie. I thought she, like I thought she was good in it. I didn't, but I just how how much like I just thought that movie was kind of boring. Um, Kev, do you think she wins it? Oh yeah, yeah. That's the acting categories are locked. But what bothers me about that then is that that means that we saw a performance in September that according to everybody else has not been topped since. And I don't think that's the case. Like, I think she was really good in Judy and I can understand why she'd be an Oscar winner, but like Charlize Theron blew me away. Uh, Saoirse Ronan was tremendous in Little Women and Scarlett Johansson was off the charts great in Marriage Story. And I I, I don't 100% understand why we've all fallen in line and just saying that Judy Garland um, is the role for Renee Zellweger to win. Her second, and I like uh, Renee, Oscar. but like also her award season run hasn't been particularly exciting. Like none of her speeches have been, oh my God, head over heels charming or yeah. like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what she's going to say next. Or like not, nothing well, about that category has, has excited me. Pitt and, and Joaquin are both doing that. They've been right. terrific at all of these um, award ceremonies and are escalating their, their speech game. And so you hope that, you know, that continues at the Oscars. So actually, that brings us was wondering something today and this is something i think is interesting um if you're an actor who's winning all these awards and all these um leading up to the oscars you've given you know three four five six six speeches by this point sure um at what point in the oscar season do you start adjusting which speech is going to have what so like does like does joaquin okay if he knows if he thinks he's gonna win the oscar does he save things and not say them at sag and not say them at globes or same with pitt 
because Pitt's been like on fire. Okay, but let, let to your point, let me ask you something. Is that Brad Pitt writing all those jokes for his award speeches? No, I don't think so. Because I, I think that's I think that's off the top of his head. No, I don't think because like all I feel like he's never been this style or this level of funny before in his entire life. And I just feel like every one of these speeches feels like it was written by a professional comedy writer. I feel I I genuinely feel now Joaquin. Oh, that's, I think that's 100% organic. I think that's all coming from him. But all of these like like one-liners, even the ones that that uh, Margot Robbie read at the BAFTAs, like they all sound like they are coming from like an SNL writer. Like to me, they don't sound like they're coming from Brad. I think that everything Brad Pitt is saying on stage is off the top of his head. I don't think he's planning anything. I think he's genuinely just that funny. Because um, we've never seen the guy accept awards before like this, right? I mean, we've never seen him. I mean, if we had other award categories to compare it to, I just think he's going up there and riffing. I really do. I, I think the guy is just, I don't know. I mean, again, we've all spent time with him in regards to interviews. And, they, you know, I when I see him on stage doing that, that's the guy that I was interviewing for Ad Astra. He's just a laid back, chill dude who's just hilarious. I'll like, I say remember, this. Yeah. If, if I were about to win a major award like that, I'd be hiring somebody to write something cool for me. <laughs> I yeah. would be getting. And it's like I know when Chris Rock was hosting. He talked in an interview about the he would tap all of his friends from the comedy zone, the comedy store in L.A. To, for like weekends. They'd come to his house and just riff material at him. Uh, now, he's a host, you know, and you would assume Chris Rock is funny enough to write his own material to do the thing. But he just in that moment needed as much input as physically possible. Well, They all do that. Every person that's ever hosted. Yeah. They have a team of writers like you like sure. whether they're funny or not, whether you're Billy Crystal or, or, or Chris Rock or Steve Martin or whatever the case may be. Like, they all have it. Like, there's no shame in it. I just don't feel like, as great as those Brad Pitt speeches are, I just don't think that, that I don't think that they're him. Who I, do you I, think yeah. wrote Glenn Close's speech? Oh. <laughs> you guys remember that year that wow. um, Eddie Redmayne won? And, and the shot of Eddie Redmayne walking up to the stage to accept his Oscar, you could see Michael Keaton putting his speech back in his oh, pocket. Oh, that hurts. Yeah. He came so Glenn Close that year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, that was Thank so you stupid. very much. He Thank was you. just. It was so stupid. He's also terrible. first in line to see Birds of Prey men this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Mendes shouldn't win. Thank you. All right. All right. Lead actor. Uh, I think we know it's going to be Joaquin Phoenix, right? Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, Jonathan Price for Two Popes. We all say Joaquin, right? Can I say something about Joaquin Phoenix for a second? Uh, and I, I, uh, this is something that I just, I have problems with in regards to the just the way film society is nowadays. Everything's comparable. Everyone wants to compare this and that. Everyone's like, oh, who's the best Joker of all time? And now they're pitting, they're pitting him up against Heath Ledger. You know, th these are stories that are actually coming out in articles of like, who's the best Joker ever? And then you have these two next to each other. Can't we just have same person playing? I'm sorry, a different person playing same characters and not have to compare them. But I mean, we, do I, that I, with, we do that with Batman. Like you have a favorite Batman. No, no, no. My point being is that Ledger, it, I think it's different with Ledger. Since Ledger's passed away, I just feel like it's just not really, I think it's more of a clickbaity thing when you're, when you're putting, when you're putting Ledger's name like that. It's just what we do. 
I know, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've just not liked the way I've felt seeing articles like that. That's all. Well, it's interesting, too. Also, like, once the movie screened, the question from most people I got was, how is it compared to... I know. He, Heathen, my answer was, it's a, like, they both tried something totally different. It's, yeah. It's almost not fair to compare it from that perspective, uh, in that they're not trying to do the, the same thing. But they're yeah, completely I different. I, I, yeah. think it's, I think it's fair to not have... An answer, but I also think it's fair to ask the question. Oh, I, I think, think the I mean, question in the same fine, way. Yeah. I, I don't think it's fair to say, "Oh, you can do it with Batman, but you can't do it with Joker." You know uh, what I did uh, hate though? Um, when he went backstage at the Globes, and one of the first questions to him was like, "What did you do to prepare for the, like, like that?" Is that's exhausting? Yeah. You know when yeah. when you're just and he said legitimately like, "Haven't I answered this question like a thousand times over the past few months?" Like that gets really obnoxious to me, and that's my own people. I hate this. Come on, my colleagues do better than that. That's why the three of us would never do that. We would never lead off with, how did you prepare for this? Well, what attracted you to the role? And by the way, uh, if you want to listen to how we did interview Joaquin Phoenix, you can go back to episode number so-and-so and uh, and find our interview with Joaquin Phoenix for the Joker. So, I don't know. Gabe, what number was that? 80-something? 90? Gabe, produce, for God's sakes. Uh, best picture. Whew, this could be the tiebreaker right here. Uh, Joker. It was what? What? 80. 86. Six. Episode number 86. Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, 35 minutes. And dare I say he had fun. Uh, best picture. Joker. 1917. Ford v. Ferrari. Little Women. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Parasite. The Irishman. Joe Joe Rabbit and Marriage Story. I am going to say that best picture after picking Sam Mendes for director is going to go to 1917 uh, from the Academy that brought you Green Book last year. Everybody likes to get very expert. The Oscars are going to go out on a limb. Yeah, they're going to honor. No, they're not. They're not. They're not going to honor Parasite. They're not going to honor Joker. They're going to honor 1917, the most Academy movie to hit the the circuit this season. Yeah. Kevin, no question. Green? 1917 won the Oscar for Best Picture back in like November of last year when people started seeing it. Um, it is oh. the perfect Oscar film. It screams Oscars. Um, it is nothing in that movie moves cinema forward. Um, and to me, a Best Picture should be something that moves cinema forward. Uh, it should be something that's changed mo- cinema, changed the way, you know, you look back on many, many of these years, the movies they've chosen, no one's talking about them anymore. Uh, King's Speech, The Artist, uh, films that beat out films like Inception or Social Network or uh, Saving Private Ryan. It, it, it's it, it's such a predictable thing. And I think, yeah, there are some years where they get it right. Return of the King, I was happy with that. Shape of Water, I was, I don't know that I think that was the best picture of the year, but I was okay with that choice because it was out of the box for them. Um, but 1917 is just checks everything off. And it's being hailed by a lot of people as like this original idea and it's just not um and i just think that uh that is just the movie that everyone is embracing people understand the technical ideas of it because it's been kind of forced upon people via featurettes um and i think that is blowing people's minds to a point where they're being clouded uh to not think about the story but they're thinking about more the technical achievement of it so it automatically becomes best picture so no question 1917 jake is about to throw us a curveball i know he's gonna say i think it's going to parasite there you go um, I, I, I can see it on his face. I can see that curveball coming. I mean, SAG gave them best ensemble, and they are the biggest percentage of voting body. 
Mm-hmm. I think they got so much flack and were considered an embarrassment last year for Green Book that they're going to feel the need to course correct. Um, I feel like uh, they're they're not going to pass off an opportunity to make history. I feel like there's been a lot more press about Parasite being the potential first foreign language film to win the Best Picture than there ever was about Roma. Roma was that close to doing it last year, and I feel like no one was really talking about how it would make history. I feel like that conversation's a lot more out there this time around. I think um, these past few years, the last 10, 15 years, we've seen a lot of split between director and picture, with director going to more of a technical achievement and picture going to more of a, a, well, a well-rounded achievement. And I, I think... While Mendez is going to take a 1917 to, to a best a best director victory, I think Parasite takes picture. Well, and what's interesting about that is I hope that happens. I mean, I, I would much rather see Parasite win over 1917, and I, I and I like Parasite. I didn't love Parasite, but Parasite winning would be like Shape of Water for me. Like it, it's out of the box. It's a different type of film. Uh, in re- even though I think it's you know I think us us did it better in regards to thematics, but. Um, but I, I do think that, uh, parasite winning would make me way happier than 1917. All right. I don't want to disrupt this conversation with facts, uh, but we like to lean into the fact that like, oh, SAG is the biggest body. Um, two years ago, they gave it to three billboards, uh, and it, that movie lost last year. They gave it to black Panther. That movie lost also. So we shall see if the scene screen actors guild awards, uh, helps parasite at all. But I, I feel like the Academy is always very comfortable to just be like, um, you win the best foreign language uh, movie. You know, go ahead, get out of here. Nineteen Seventeen nah, is, is the safest film out of all nine of them. It's the safe Oscar film. Ferrari is the safest yeah. Oscar film. Which one? Ford Ferrari. Yeah, but that's not even in the contention. Like, okay, we're talking about the actual people who are like really, really in contention. But it's Hollywood. a best picture nominee. Nominee. It's in. That's yeah. in contention. No, I know. But the the ones that are really going at each other, Hollywood. Parasite, 1917, and I guess you could put Marriage Story in there if you want to as it uh, trickles behind. But 1917 is clearly the safe choice. But also, the the preferential ballot is also what makes this so tough because the preferential ballot takes all the reasoning and statistics that we have and shakes them up and just throws that out there and goes, okay, here you go. So, So all reasoning and statistics go out the window because of the preferential ballot. All right, so those are our picks uh, for what we think is going to win Sunday night at the Oscars. Be sure to track our progress along uh, as you guys watch the show on Sunday. And then we're going to record on Monday to get you our reaction show uh, as quickly as possible. Should post by Tuesday and we'll be able to discuss everything that we learned uh, via the uh, Academy Awards ceremony. And uh, we'll finally put a bow on this year's awards uh, season, essentially. Good Lord. The marathon season that began all the way back in September when we went to TIFF and started to see some of these movies for the very first time. That brings us to this week in movies with something called uh, And Then We Danced. <laughs> Wait, is this the week where Gabe inserted a, a fake one? I, it might as well be. Wait, no, I'm, I'm going to read you the next. Uh, has either of you seen And Then We Danced? <laughs> no. 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 All right. Uh, how about <laughs> wait? <laughs> how about waiting for Anya? <laughs> no. No. Of course not. No Is it because she was dancing? Wait, waiting for Anya. Okay. Now the Lodge. I've heard good things about. Apparently, this is a horror film that's getting incredible reviews. I have not had a chance to see it yet. Have you guys seen the Lodge? I have not. 
the lodge. All right. Well, that brings us to Birds of Prey. <laughs> Jake and I have both seen Birds of Prey because we got to see the uh, see it at the junket. Kevin is going to go see it after we record this week's episode. Jakey, spoiler free review of Birds of Prey. Where are you at on it? A uh, very, very, very pleasantly surprised. Um, really just had an absolute blast with this thing. I mean, speaking as someone who genuinely hated Suicide Squad, um, but did feel that Margot Robbie, Margot Robbie was probably the best thing about that movie. They took the best. I mean, and here's the deal, too. They're calling it a Birds of Prey movie. It's basically an R-rated Harley Quinn movie and then the Birds of Prey kind of form. Oh, yeah. But I Absolutely. just thought, I mean, the direction, the writing, the sense of humor, the performances, um, the, the self-awareness of everything. Um, it's DC just letting loose and having fun and going, you know what? We tried connecting all these movies. It didn't work out. Let's just focus more on making good movies and worry less about making a universe. And that has just benefited them, you know, a thousand times over. Um, I had an absolute blast. I think this is DC's Deadpool, essentially. And uh, and I mean, that is a massive compliment. Um, I, I absolutely loved, loved, loved this movie. And, uh, and I, I, it makes me so happy to say that because I really, I gotta, I gotta cop up to something. I didn't I all the trailers and everything didn't really do anything for me. I know it was very public on this podcast by as by saying, you know, I'm not really into it. I don't really care. I was wrong. I saw the movie, loved it. Great theatrical experience we're seeing on the big screen. Yeah, I mean, I'm right in line with you. And it's just funny, like people who saw Suicide Squad and had problems with it. The one takeaway was, oh, but Margot Robbie was so much fun as Harley Quinn. And we'd love to see her, you know, in more of stuff. That's exactly what they did. They, they're yeah. giving you what you asked for coming out of Suicide Squad. It's, she's in a new movie. They're properly using her, I think, to launch the Birds of Prey. But Jake's right. They don't get as much screen time or attention. Uh, the Birds of Prey characters uh, as Margot Robbie does as, as Harley Quinn. Um, I got to single out. And it's I, I, you know, I hate doing it. I hate in the Birds of Prey movie that has some great performances by um, fantastic female uh, actors that Ewan McGregor unfortunately steals the show. Like he's playing Black Mask and he is just completely gonzo off script. Like you'd never know what you're going to get from him in any scene. Uh, and he's one of the most charismatic, fun, unpredictable DC villains that we've seen uh, on screen in a very long time in a movie like this. I think he's having a really good time. Uh, I love that it leans into the R rating. Also, the Deadpool comparison is, is definitely accurate because Harley will also break the fourth wall. Uh, it's just once you see the jokes that are in this movie, it doesn't take itself seriously at all. There's a great bit about a bacon, egg and cheese sandwich that is hilarious. Um, and it happens pretty early on. And I was like, oh, this movie kind of gets it. You know, it's just going to be uh, a fun time, a crowd pleaser uh, that I think everybody's really going to dial into. And and like Jake said, I, I think it's it's when it's freed from having to carry plot lines that will be continued in other movies that you can just like it's it's liberating to go to a superhero movie that begins and ends and that's it. it the script's it. It doesn't have to keep adding to the the larger narrative. And I I, I didn't realize how much I missed that until I saw it in Birds of Prey. So um, go see it, Sean. In the move in the movie, do they ever break down like Harley Quinn's favorite uh, actors and like movies? Like do they do they go into that that kind of stuff with her? Let me see. Uh, do they ever do Harley's? Well, favorite well, actors. No, the reason I, why I'm asking that question is because yeah. Harley, Harley Quinn is famous right. for loving the movie Crocodile Dundee 2. 
And I was just curious if you knew Harley Quinn's favorite actor who appeared in Crocodile Dundee 2, the 1988 classic comedy. Well, that's Paul Hogan. Um, and I'm, I don't know who else would. No, I don't. Is it Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? No, there was a, there was a, a really a famous comedian cameo in that film. Uh, yeah. Harley Colin Quinn was actually uh, he had a, a big appearance in that film. I don't know if you remember Colin that. Quinn. But oh, my God. Crocodile Dundee 2, 1988. He did show <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and Margo's an Aussie. Yeah. Nice job, Kevin. I know, Good that's what job. I'm saying. Way to bring it full circle. Harley Colin right. Quinn, I told you that. Yeah. Kevin will give us his opinion of Birds of Prey on next week's episode. <laughs> He's going to go see it right now. That brings us to this week's blend game, um, a complicated one uh, as we start to play a new game here on the show where we're going to do underrated titles from the decades that we just recently celebrated. And the reason is, uh, first off, we're trying to define what uh, what underrated actually means um, and with all of these movies that are so good from these decades um, it's tough to pick out something that that isn't really celebrated overall so in giving our picks we have to basically explain um, why we think it's underrated as well too uh, Gabe did not give me an order uh, I like to point that out every time that he misses an opportunity uh, to help the show so I'm going to go with Kevin first Kevin what's your underrated Hashtag right. underrated 70s blend pick. So mine, again, I think the whole purpose of this game is the personal the personal connection to these things, right? So um, this was a film that I had never seen before prior to meeting my father-in-law, Mr. V, Damien. Um, and he has such an incredible knowledge. I remember like when I first met my wife's dad, Lauren's dad, for the first time, I, I went over to his house and he like, he like, he made me like, he tested me on my movie knowledge. Like he put Inception on and made me look for things and made me find a Brad Pitt cameo in some 80s movie that I'd never heard of before. So then uh, Grindhouse was a big movie that came up in conversation uh, with us and Death Proof specifically. And there was a there was a movie that Quentin Tarantino essentially, you know, modeled that film after it was a huge homage, which, which was Vanishing Point, uh, 1971. And it's uh, as I watched it and I've heard my father in law, Mr. V, talk about this movie so many times over the years and all the different Trivia. He's a big fan of going on IMDb and reading all the trivia for all the different movies. Um, so much so that I kind of know it all at the top of my head, like everything about the the different details of that film. Uh, this is a movie that came out in 1971. Essentially, the character Kowalski is driving a car, I believe, from Colorado to San Diego, I want to say. And he has to deliver it on a certain day. Uh, and it was like a 1970 Dodge Challenger was, I think was the car. And I, and I remember my father-in-law would always say they, they, they had eight cars that were on set. And then one of them remained at the end because they crashed them all. Um, <laughs> uh, and then one of the things he always brings up is on the DVD of that film uh, there, uh, Charlotte Rampling actually had a, 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 a part in that film that was not, that was taken out of the U S release. So the DVD apparently has the, the U S and the UK and they kept her part in the UK release, which is like apparently a famous thing for that film. Um, I love that movie because it, I just love the practicality of the action and the driving and the, uh, just that road trip type story where he's being chased. Uh, and you know, this is a movie that has heavily influenced a lot. I was actually looking, reading about a lot of this today and I did not know how heavily this movie influenced things. Uh, there was an audio slave video called show me how to live, which is a great song. That video was apparently an entire homage to vanishing point. They, uh, they intercut it with the, with the movie. Uh, uh, there's albums and music that have been inspired by that film. Quentin Tarantino used the same license plate in death proof. 
uh, which is OA5599, which is, I think, the, the license plate of Kowalski's character and also the license plate of uh, Kurt... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blanking on his name at the moment. Uh, but yeah, you're thinking about the the influence this movie had and Kurt Russell's say, character. I say had Baby it. Driver too. Baby, I mean, Driver. Baby Driver. Yeah. yeah, both Quentin Tarantino and Edgar Wright have have mentioned that film was one of their favorite movies they've ever seen. Um, and I never even heard of it until I met my father in law. So it just has a special place in my heart. Why is it underrated? Because uh, it cost, I think, $1.3 million to make it. It made $12 million at the box office. Uh, and I guess for me, it's underrated because I'd never heard of it. Um, uh, not, that, not that that's a barometer for something being underrated or not, but I just had never seen it or heard of it. And it was because of my father-in-law that I, that I discovered it, and then I learned about Quentin Tarantino's love for it. And so that's why that's my underrated pick. Yeah, man. I mean, that's exactly the qualifications of it. If it's not a movie that gets discussed all that often, but filmmakers tend to reference it as something that uh, that that's... A it's touch awesome. point for them. Have you guys Absolutely. seen it? Oh, yeah. I have not seen yeah. it. No, I've it's never seen it. Awesome. It's it is an awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome movie. Like, genuinely awesome. If you yeah, haven't seen cool. it, check it out. I hope people, yeah, use this conversation to point out titles that they haven't yet seen before. Jakey, you're up. Okay, here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to name a movie, and you guys are going to go, oh, but people love that movie. But I have a justif- justifiable reason why I think it is actually underrated. All right. um, my 70s pick for underrated film is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the reason I think that that's an underrated film is because people don't give it enough credit for changing the way a lot of things about the genre worked and creating a lot of aspects that we talk about with other horror films, but not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The first one being uh, viral marketing. These days, remember how big of a deal it was when the, the writer and directors of the Blair Witch Project did this huge, big, giant uh, viral campaign convincing the world that this was an actual tape that people found out in the woods and that we were just going to see it in the big screen. And it was this huge thing. Toby Hooper was the first person to do that. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not a true story. It's not even close to a true story. It's based on a guy who killed people and maimed them in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Um, The same guy that inspired movies like Psycho and Silence of the Lambs. Ed Um, Gein, right? Yes, Ed Gein. Yeah. But he convinced the world for a large, large, large period of time that this was based on a true story. And that was a huge part of its viral market. It was before things went viral. It was a huge part of its viral campaign. Also, it created this world of of, of do-it-yourself filmmaking in uh, the horror genre in a decade in which hard writers and directors were doing the complete opposite. When you look at the, the, the biggest horror films of that decade... You're looking at Jaws, The Exorcist, Halloween, The Omen, Alien. These are very these, these are high profile, big budget, big studio, big director, oftentimes big star horror films. And then you've got this guy in Texas spending 30 grand with him and his friends making this ugly, grungy, let's just do it ourselves kind of do it. And there are a lot of filmmakers out there who saw what to- Toby Hooper was doing and went, "Oh, like Maybe I can do that because you don't look at Alien or The Exorcist or Jaws and think I can do that like that. That doesn't make you pick up an eight millimeter film and run into your backyard and start making a horror movie. But you see something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and that makes you go, well, shit, like if if he can do that with all of his friends and make all of these weird props with with bones and antlers and and just kind of run around with a camera, then then and, and make the movie that he made then I can do that too. So yes, 
It's 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 a beloved film, and and I think you know I think a lot of people would say like oh it's a it's a great it's a, it's a good horror movie. No one's I'm not I'm not discounting the fact that people like it as a horror film, but they're discounting really what it did for the genre because when you when people talk about the most influential horror films of all time, I feel like no one ever really talks about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the impact that it had not just on the genre but on on the filmmakers that would grow up believing that they could do it because Toby Hooper did. And also, Jake, like uh, one thing that it's interesting about that film is like you, and I'm sure, I'm sure you know this information, but Toby Hooper is a huge Keanu Reeves fan. Um, and I was just curious if you knew Toby Hooper's favorite Keanu Reeves film, because th- this is super interesting. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Did you even hear anything that I said, by the way, or were you just waiting on me to stop talking so you could do this? Two seconds. One, I, if you go back and listen to the audio, I said three times it was a good pick, and I actually no, agree. No, I actually I'm think listening. that film is an underrated. I think it's a good pick. I actually every, said that a couple times. Every time you I do mean, this, I, I, I think most of us just assume that that's what Texas is. Isn't Texas just like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like a documentary to me. <laughs> You know what? You know what? Well, gonna, Texas is the greatest God. country in the world, and, and you just lost your passport, sir. Fine. Go back to guessing Kevin's pun. So back to Toby Hooper's favorite, favorite Keanu Reeves film. Any, any guesses on this, Sean? Uh, no, none. None here. You're on an island. Texas Chain Reaction Saw Massacre. Oh, get out of here. Please. Thank you. Thank that you very much. That was yeah. not right. <laughs> oh my God. Remember Chain Reaction? Remember that no. movie? No. Remember no one Chain re- Reaction? No one remembers Chain Dude, Reaction. Dude, it was a big movie in the 90s, wasn't it? Morgan Freeman? That. Morgan Freeman's in that? Yeah. <laughs> Let me see who ch- Chain Reaction. That, that was definitely... What if that oh, was? Oh, wait, snowmobiles? It was snowmobiles? Is that what Gabe was doing? No? All right. Never mind. All right. My pick. Um, I'm going to go with a movie that I guarantee you guys have not seen. John Frankenheimer's 1977 film, Black Sunday. Black Sunday uh, is the prototype film that led into uh, the diehards of the world. And it's really funny. It's um, like that came first, Die Hard came later, and then Die Hard ended up inspiring a million different movies, which is uh, there is a terrorist plot uh, that's going to place a bomb at the Super Bowl. In the 1970s. And um, the cast, uh, Robert Shaw being one yeah, of them. There's a bomb at the bowl. Has to stop it from uh, from taking place. But the set piece. Now, it's a pretty good movie leading up to this point, And the director is John Frankenheimer, who I don't think gets enough. This feeds into the undervalued pick. John Frankenheimer is trying to establish himself in a decade of directors that's essentially Coppola, Scorsese, De Palma, Spielberg, William Friedkin, Robert Altman, Sidney Lumet, Hal Ashby, Frankenheimer's over here making the Manchurian Candidate. Uh, he's doing the Iceman Cometh. He does French Connection 2, and then he leads into Black Sunday. And when you go back and watch Black Sunday, okay, fine. It moves pretty slow for most of its time. Um, it's, you know, uh, investigators trying to track down uh, a terrorist group um, that's going to be responsible for placing this bomb at, at the Super Bowl. But the final set piece is worth the time alone uh, in that the terrorists take over the Goodyear blimp. They fly the Goodyear blimp over the stadium where the Super Bowl is taking place and they plunge it down towards the 50 yard line. And the heroes, in an effort to stop them, have to take over a news helicopter, chase after the Goodyear blimp and using practical effects, 
they swing one of the detectives down from the helicopter to land on top of the Goodyear blimp. Like, they legitimately had stuntmen doing this. And then a mix of really bad green screen and up-close shots that are clearly nowhere near a blimp or a football game. But just the thinking outside the box to coming up with a really big set piece, you know, to end your tentpole uh, action thriller on... Uh, Black Sunday gets credit for being, I think, the godfather to a lot of movies that we loved in the 80s and 90s, and Frankenheimer shoots the hell out of it uh, and edits it really, really well. So I'm going to single that out. It's, um, who else is in that besides? It's uh, Robert Shaw and one other big-time actor whose name is escaping me. Shoot, now i got to go to the IMDb because it's a pretty big guy. Did Robert Shaw do that right after Jaws? Uh, well, it's 1977, so yeah, it would have been right around that time. Oh, you know who else? It's based on a book by Thomas Harris, who wrote Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. And Bruce Dern is the other guy who's in it. It's Bruce Dern and Robert Shaw. They couldn't it, just drop it. the shark into the game? That would have been, really, that, that'd have been <laughs> awesome. That would have been pretty sweet. No, but, but I, the, both, I, I, like, it. I like both of these, I, I like all these picks because, and Jake's reasoning for Toby Hooper, it's an interesting thing because you don't, I, I never thought about that movie being so influential on on marketing. Um, I, I texted Gabe earlier today, um, and like like I did with True Detective, just to sort of go like, dude, like this is what I'm thinking. And I asked, yeah. I was like, are the guys gonna give me shit? He goes, no. Well, probably, but you can try. I don't I think don't, I, I, I actually. Well, I, I saw your face whenever I said that. You sort of well, went like. Uh, you could also argue Texas Chainsaw Massacre is underrated because because it's not really brought up in regards to like nowadays. When if you think ultimately about horror films, you go Friday the Thirteenth, Elm Street. Halloween, right? Well, especially the horror films of the seventies, because you've got Jaws, Alien, Halloween, The Exorcist, The Omen. Right. Like you know, it's you, you'd probably have to go pretty far down on the list before you bring up Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Technically, that speaking, being said, we we did say whenever we were um, when we initiated this segment last week that not 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 just the movie do you have to justify, but why like your definition of the word underrated. And as we jump from decade to decade, that's why I'm actually really excited about this series of blend games that we're doing because our definition of the word underrated could change for movie to movie, decade to decade, which is why I think it's it's really interesting. Right, and technically speaking, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an underrated film of the 70s. Of sure. the 70s. Like, oh, yeah. like, if you think about it in that regard, because, like, you just mentioned all those heavy hitters, and all, to Sean's point, which is why I'm... That's why I love doing this show, because I, I, didn't, I never even thought about the idea of, like, okay, you have a director, John Frankenheimer, working within a field of all these masterminds, uh, and just not getting the credit he deserves because yeah. he is overshadowed. And you can say the same thing about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. While it was a classic horror film, it is completely overshadowed in the decade uh, to a point where I actually forgot it even came out in the 70s. But, and um, the industry needs a bunch of these guys who are just grind. You know, like, right. You know who John Frankenheimer would have been? Tony Scott. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Cool. Just cool putting comparison. out great, you know, examples of a genre that you love, but then years later you look back and you're like, oh damn, Tony Who, Scott was really good. Who's that guy? Who's that guy or girl, Ooh. filmmaker wise, now that is not getting his or her due because of being overshadowed by the Nolans or the Tarantinos? Or I got the, one. Who? Chris Ma- Chris McQuarrie. Yeah, good <laughs> answer. Chris McQuarrie. Good answer. That's an interesting. Macquarie's an interesting one. Great uh, answer. How much credit? How much credit does Cruz get for all of those things? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cruz. I mean, is but the like one. because we've always heard on set that Cruz is basically co-directing those movies. 
Yeah. Damn. Well, I mean, it, but but I mean, well, again, I was going to say I love the first Jack Reacher and the one that Chris McQuarrie didn't make is terrible. Yeah. So right, but again, is, it's it's Cruz. This is going to be controversial. But could you argue that Denis Villeneuve um, is that Ooh. director? Um, I but think he's like, starting to elevate himself. To I feel like he's of. getting the critical acclaim, if not just that his movies don't do particularly well. But I feel like he's pretty highly regarded within the world of film Twitter. Oh, what about J.J.? J.J.'s good, but, but Denis, okay, so Denis never made a bad movie. Um, right. But I would argue that people know his films more than they know who he is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, that's and, I, that's true. I, and I wonder if, like, while he we celebrate him, most people don't know who the heck he is. Oh, I know, I know. Beloved Tom Hooper. Tom Hooper, there you go. <laughs> hey, director of- that's Academy Award winner, Tom Hooper, to <laughs> you, sir. That's Toby's brother, come on. <laughs> All right, audience picks. Uh, Clint Tomerlin says, The Outfit from 1973. Kimberly Sue went with Robin Hood, uh, saying it's a bit underrated as a Disney film, so I guess she means the oh. animated version. Men in Tights, Don- that's the good one. Dante says, Robin Heaven Hood and Little wait. John walking through the forest. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven Can Wait is a terrific pick, Dante. And Reed Bennett uh, says, The Phantom of the Paradise. Why do I know The Phantom of the Paradise? That sounds familiar. Like it was inspired by something. Is that prior or, to the opera or after or the rec- opera? It's, I think it's... I, think, <laughs> I was just curious. <laughs> I think that's the one that inspired um, Meatloaf's Paradise by the Dashboard Light. That's oh. what I think it is. No, by the way... Too far out there? I'm really do, old. Why don't we ever talk about how brilliant Meatloaf is in Fight Club? That's like one of the... What a great performance. <laughs> bitch tits? Can I say bitch tits? <laughs> no, don't show? say that. No, I'm not allowed to. <laughs> All right, cut the whole meatloaf thing then. All right, for next week, I want... Oh, God, Gabe, we haven't done this yet? All right. What? For next week, reach out on Twitter and play along with the new blend game, hashtag Jim Carrey Blend. We are going to be celebrating (laughs) Sonic the Hedgehog star Jim Carrey by playing hashtag... I can't believe we haven't played that yet. Hashtag Jim Carrey Blend. You can let us know your pick on social media. It's so hard because it's like, what, what Jim Carrey are we talking about? No, it's just your favorite Jim Carrey movie. That's up to you to describe, my friend. Yeah, yeah. good luck. Uh, you can use uh, the hashtag Jim Carrey Blend on social not, media, or you can best. email us favorite. your pick, That's favorite, at realblend at cinemablend.com. Okay, uh, Gabe wants me to point out that we are one review away on iTunes from 100 reviews. Uh, well, two totally reviews. Hold on. Sorry. Totally we're two reviews away from... No, I'm sorry. We are one star rating away from 200. We have 95 reviews. We have 199 star. Who? No one cares. Dude, no, no, it's honestly. Well, we don't care. <laughs> Gabe cares. Uh, this week's review comes to someone named Enfotos Two. Enfotos Two. E N F O T O S T. Unless it's Enfoto Season Two. Uh, who says refreshing and fantastical. Ooh, I like that. Okay. I recently discovered this podcast and am thankful that I did. I never found much value in traditional movie reviews because they rarely capture the true essence of a film, honestly or thoroughly. But then, as a loyal watcher of Fox 5 DC, I got to experience movie reviews flipped completely upside down and in Technicolor the minute Kevin stepped in front of the camera. This is absolutely Kevin's mom writing this. <laughs> yeah, it's mom and my grandma. And 10%. She's a great uh, writer. Through his segments, I discovered 
this podcast and found the Neverland of films and filmmaking. I think you guys have started a revolution, breathing life back into the actors, producers, directors, and entire cinematic multiverse. Your genuine appreciation, respect, and love of their craftsmanship, genre agnostic, is infectious and refreshing, exclamation point. That excitement can be seen and heard in more and more of your conversations and interviews. It's kind of like a modern, blithe version of Pump Up the Volume, minus the solemnness. Wow, this is all over the place. So thank you for ditching stodgy Hollywood for the fantastical side of cinema. Whoever took the time... To, re- to write that review, we cannot thank you enough. That was the nicest thing anyone has ever said to us, ever. So thank you in photos, too, for calling us refreshing. And challenge to the rest of you, try to top that. It really was. All right, well, listeners, uh, follow us on social media, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean underscore O'Connell. You can drop <laughs> us a review on iTunes. Again, it means a ton to us. As you can see, we will read it at the end of the review. We will be back next week early uh, as we give you our reaction to the Academy Awards, uh, the winners, the losers, the snubs, the big surprises. And so, until we're back at it uh, next week. 1917 wishes it was done, Kirk. Save big money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.